lesson today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is the word of the Lord. And then our gospel lesson and sermon text comes from John's Gospel today, chapter 20 verses 19 through 31, and let me just remind you, this is God's word to us. It's given to us because he loves us. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, if you could have superpowers, but only one, if you could have a superpower, I should say, which one would you choose out of all the list? And you can actually give some feedback here. This is not just a rhetorical question. Fly, yep, flight. Teleportation. Invisibility. Anything else? We covered the... Sorry? Super strength. All right, yep, we're hitting all the, all the high notes. Good, good, good. All right. Photographic memory. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, apparently, uh, well, it was said, I don't know who said teleportation, but Jesus' favorite superpower is apparently teleportation, uh, because that's what uh, he does twice in our passage today. I guess his favorite X-Men would have been Shadowcat or Nightcrawler. Uh, verse 19 says that the disciples were 
hiding out because they feared the Jewish leaders and authority uh, wouldn't stop at just putting Jesus, their leader, who they've been following, uh, to death. Uh, but would come after them as well. So they're holed up somewhere. Uh, they have the doors are locked, and no one could get in, and Jesus just, poof, out of thin air, appears right there in the midst. And if you're saying that, you know what, this seems a little outrageous. I can't possibly believe Jesus could somehow actually travel through the space-time continuum and teleport wherever he wanted, like Dumbledore can apparate out of Hogwarts when no one else can apparate out of Hogwarts. And listen, if that is hard for you to believe, then think about what it is we are celebrating this season. We believe that Jesus was dead for three days and came back to life. And in a little while, he's going to ascend. We're going to celebrate that he ascends up into the heavens to sit at the Father's right hand in a real, physical, tangible body. Wherever in the universe that currently is, I don't know. So do we really find it so hard to believe that he could teleport or that he could phase through walls? Besides, teleportation is not the issue here. The issue, the issue here is that you either believe Jesus was raised bodily from the dead on the third day or you don't. Because our entire existence, our faith, our hope, Our joy, our confidence, our assurance, our salvation, our forgiveness, our redemption, our pardon, our love hangs in the balance on the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus is raised from the dead, then he is vindicated as king, and we must bow the knee to him. That's the issue here. That's why Jesus is... Jesus appears to his disciples who, they're scared to death. They're terrified. They're frightened that Jesus is, in fact, dead. Dead, dead. Not coming back dead. The one in whom they put all their trust was going to bring about the kingdom of God and bring it to bear and bring salvation to bear in this world is dead. And now, Jesus' enemies are coming for them And their superhero, with all the powers, is not there to protect them anymore. And so Jesus appears into their midst and says, Peace, peace be with you. Jesus isn't there to prank them or show off these new fancy resurrection teleportation powers. He's there to bring them peace. And by peace, I don't just mean calm and good vibes, although that's certainly included in what Jesus means by peace. When Jesus says he wants you to have peace, he means he wants you to have full, complete, and total restoration to life as it is meant to be known and enjoyed. Every single time just about that peace is used in the Bible, it is talking about shalom. Not just peace, man, but shalom, flourishing, wholeness. And to not be afraid. He says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. Look at the wounds of my cross. You can see me. You can touch me. You can hear me. You can smell me. You can know that I am not dead. I am, in fact, alive. And in the understatement of the year, John says, they were glad. 
to hear this. But one disciple missed out on this encounter with Jesus, Thomas. Thomas called the twin. Oh, doubting Thomas. We have called him throughout the generations. The disciples find their buddy Tom, and they say, Hey, Jesus is alive. We've seen him, and he has these cool superpowers now, and he breathed on us and we're, with his Holy Spirit, and we feel so much better about everything, and now we're going to go out and tell everybody else about Jesus and tell them that the, Jesus is the king. And Tom says, uh, Yeah, cool story, bro. Nah, I ain't buying that. Thomas says famously, Unless I... See in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. Oh, doubting Thomas, how the church is eternally grateful for your skepticism, eternally grateful for your doubt, your pessimistic cynicism. Because without you, we'd be sorely lacking your courageous example of what it means to have faith. Belief is not easy for us. Unbelief is probably our default state. And even more so, we live in an age where doubt is a virtue. I would say probably it's better called cynicism is a virtue, but at any rate, it's the highest virtue. We are to submit everything to fierce scrutiny. This is the sign of maturity, wisdom, and open-mindedness. To doubt everything. To be certain of nothing. That is the new orthodoxy of our age. Now, of course, a healthy amount of skepticism is necessary for life, for wise discernment. Without doubt, we tend to never question our assumptions. Without doubt, we never tend to question our allegiances, and our faith can grow stagnant and stop growing. Our faith can actually become boring without doubt. Without doubt, we never have to die to our false assumptions. Without doubt, we never have to die to our false security or our false selves. So there is a place for doubt, for sure, But prioritizing doubt, frankly, is absurd. (laughs) Because we all live by faith every single day. Every day of your life, all over the world. Scientists, philosophers, educators, economists, and in the midst of an age where everything is supposed to be relative, where everything is supposed to be skeptical, all these people, all these brilliant minds are all saying that you cannot know anything at all, unless you prioritize belief over doubt. That there's, you can't know anything if you don't prioritize faith over doubt. We all must live with belief, with trust, with commitment to some way of leaning into this world in order to make sense of it. Otherwise, we would all go crazy. And you know who gets this truth, that we all prioritize faith over doubt, that we have no other option but to live with faith in some story to make sense of reality? You know who really understands this well? Advertisers. The people who make commercials. Because that's what they're trying to do. 
They're just trying to get you to buy into this story of the good life and to trust and have faith that if you drink Coke and drive a Lexus, then you'll be happy, that you'll have everything there is to have. And that takes an incredible amount of faith and trust that that will come about if you will only put your trust in this. So thank you, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you for being there to disabuse us of the notion that some of us have blind faith and others only believe in what they can scientifically prove and others have faith in absolutely nothing when the truth is we all live by faith in something. We all live by faith in something. And that is why John, in fact, wrote his gospel. He says there at the end, verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's editor really should have told him you put the purpose statement at the beginning, not the end. But John wants you to see and believe that because Jesus is alive on the third day, he is vindicated as truly being the king, that he is the savior of the world, that he is overcoming our doubts, our fears, our disappointments, that it won't turn out all right in the end. Maybe there's nothing at the end, and we just cease to exist. Maybe this is all for nothing. The hope for the Christian, the hope for everybody is that there is redemption, there is renewal, there is healing and flourishing available to us now and will one day be made complete is only because Jesus walked out of the grave on the third day. And for us who believe the resurrection is true, trust that it is true, but don't always feel it, then thank you, Thomas, for making that experience normal for a Christian. It is not how it's supposed to be. We were created to be assured of God's love, of his presence in our lives at all times, always. But the good news is that Jesus comes to us, hold up, hiding in fear. He comes to us. And he breathes resurrection, Holy Spirit, life into us. And then he sends us out in his name. He sends Mary, weeping and sobbing with red and bleary eyes and snot all over her face probably from her grief to go and proclaim the good news to others that he's alive. He sends Thomas, hardening his heart in fear and disappointment. And then he has egg all over his face when Jesus shows up and surprises him. And yet Jesus sends Thomas anyway. And so he sends us as well. Jesus' words after Thomas confesses are not to shame Thomas. He's not saying, oh, your faith is second class, Thomas. Blessed are all those who believe I'm alive without getting to see and feel and hear the tangible proof for themselves like you did before you believed. He's not saying that. That's not what he's going after. The point is, the resurrection happened, and it's true. The good news is, the resurrection is for even those who didn't get to see it for themselves, like Thomas. The resurrection is not solely for these eyewitnesses, it's for those millions and millions of people who didn't get to be there and instead believe the testimony of those eyewitnesses to the resurrection. 
Jesus breathes Holy Spirit power into the disciples to go out and to do that very thing, to testify to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead so that others may have life. To proclaim to others peace, shalom, flourishing. And if you go and you look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it says even still when Jesus commissions them for the job, when he tells them, my power is going to be with you and you're going to do this, you're going to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim this, that even then, even now, after everything, some still doubted. Some still doubted. So friends, even in the midst of your doubts, your fears, your struggles to feel that the resurrection matters in this life and in your life, even still, the resurrection is for you. And God is sending you out to testify that it is indeed true. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's respond.